Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by Preston Ulysses Jacobs. That's right, I'm changing your middle name every time. Fire and blood. Fire and blood. I, we need like a fire and blood um, theme song. We, we, we do? Comes in. Yeah. No, we don't. Fire, fire and blood. Okay. <laughs> Guys, welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, we're still covering fire and blood, apparently. And this time we'll be covering chapter, uh, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's 10. Yes, chapter 10. Jaharis and Ellis saying their triumphs and tragedies. As always, we're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. So consider checking us out on those platforms. And if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. It would help out a lot. And as always, you know, leave your comments and questions down below. We will cover them next time so Preston we're back for fire and blood once again and uh yeah yeah In, into into the thick of things what did you think of um of Jaharis and Alisane their triumphs and tragedies this chapter was long but I I actually did not mind that in fact I was so enamored with one of a certain a certain because you know how th this kind of feels like a song of ice and fire in the sense where there's like multiple narratives here, 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 and there. Mm -hmm. You have Rhaenyra or Alyssa Farman, uh, yeah. the little creepy mystery of what happened to Arya, and you know things yeah. going on in the north with Alysanne's little like you know uh, journey up there. So I, I did like all of that and I, multiple multiple locations, multiple point of views. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. there was one part of the story here that I liked so much that I actually went into the next chapter and I, I just couldn't stop. I had to continue reading, which was uh, Alyssa's uh, journey, not Alyssa, Alicia. Mm. Alyssa. No, no, no. Alicia oh, Far Farman. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. You want to start? Sure, sir. So the chapter starts out with the maesters praising Jaehaerys's reign as prosperous and peaceful because under his tenure, Westeros flourished immensely. And for a large part of its, its history, after the First Men and Andal expansions, the continent was always in a constant state of war between all the different kingdoms. And not much progress was achieved, but united under one benevolent ruler, everybody wins. Fewer people marching off to war means... Everyone has more time to farm and fish, trade increases, and all the major cities from Duskendale to White Harbors are, is flourishing, but even more um, so than King's Landing. So there's a couple there's a couple things that I think are pretty interesting that I that I put in my notes is that one, uh, we have to remember that um, Septon Barth is now a major source for our Maester. So like, you know, the point of view and tone of everything might change because we're talking about things being being Sept, you know, being Septon Barth, who this guy wrote the book on dragons. Um, if there is a dragon conspiracy, he he's definitely at the heart of things. Um, so uh, we'll see about that. the The other thing that I thought was interesting was that we're talking about the population of Westeros uh, skyrocketing, and so one of the big mysteries is like what's keeping Westeros technologically stagnant, and why isn't the population um, like that much larger. I remember a lot of people asking like, wait, if House Stark is 8,000 years old, why are there only like 10 Starks in the story? <laughs> you know, like why aren't there thousands of Starks? Um, and I guess the answer is that that war is constantly going on. But so, so in a sense, the unification of Westeros and the arrival of dragons and everything that comes with it has, has, you know, pushed off the balance of the world. Like now there is, now we have population growth and 
you know, they're, they're talking about all the, the development. Well, with development comes environmental destruction. So I do wonder about, um, about this, you know, that for thousands and thousands of years, you have a fairly stable, stagnant Westeros population, stagnant technologically, stagnant population, and now dragons have arrived and things are, things are taking off. Hmm. Anyway, continue. Well, I would assume the reason, like, we don't have thousands of Starks running around is for the same reasons why, you know, certain people in certain classes have more kids than, you know, others. Peasants, it's kind of a necessity to have a lot of kids, whereas nobles and royals, it's it's more strategic. And not to mention, if you have a lot of Starks running around, your enemies could use that against you in some weird way. We're kind of seeing that yeah, now yeah. in the books, and we saw it a bit in the show. I mean, Roose Bolton at one point... At one point in the show, it says, it's not her virtue I need, it's her name. So it's a bit strategic not to have too many kids, but for alliance purposes, and you need an heir and maybe a backup heir every now and then. So, yeah, I mean, well, this is the whole thing with the whole problem with feudalism. You know, you're going to, if you have a bunch of kids and the eldest gets the land, what do you do with the other kids? Right. And even if you find a place for those kids, what do you do with their kids? And then it just gets, goes on and on forever. Like, this is actually why I want you to play. Um, Crusader Kings 2, the Game of Thrones mod for it, because that's the problem I have all the goddamn time when I when I play it. Because you can actually play as one of the lords uh, from Westeros in Crusader Kings, and then I'll have like a bunch of kids, and I'm like, ah, fuck, who wants to marry my kid? Wh whose alliance do I need? And, and that's just just like in in, in the series. So <laughs> you see, what well, feudalism, you know, doesn't work. But then, but then if you put democracy in charge, then your council installs a dumbass and then everything goes downhill. So no. The, yeah, well, that's, are you talking about modern politics today? Yes. Democracy <laughs> just has fallen apart. <sighs> but when we last left off on the previous chapter, uh, Reyna, her, her mm -hmm. daughter, ran off with uh, Valerion, Black Dread, yes. one of the largest dragons ever. And she spends a good chunk of the time uh, of the chapter going from almost every major location in Westeros to look for her daughter. And eventually, for most of the year, she disappears. There are reports... Now, Go ahead. Yeah. No, I think this is really funny because the report is that she's she's taking her dragon around and searching for her daughter. And she keeps going back to like the places of her former allies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, is she looking for her daughter or is she... Is she trying to form alliances again and start a war? Because, I mean, if you think about it this way, like her daughter has control of Balerion and she has control of Dreamfire and no one is currently riding Vagar. So the three biggest dragons, the three oldest dragons are in control of Dreamfire, of, of Reyna, Dreamfire Reyna. So like if her daughter ever returned, man, they could, they could totally take over, you know, because, because, because Balerion and Dreamfire are bigger than Silverwing and um, whoever uh, Alicent's dragon was, uh, escapes me for the moment. But what, you know, um, so it's just, uh, you know, it, it, she could be, she could definitely be searching, you know, going to these different places, uh, trying to, trying to get them together for war and then failing. Or nostalgia purposes. I mean, she had a lot of happy been. memories in some of these places. It seems just so obvious that, that, she flew off to Essos, so why would Reyna be flying around to Fair Isle to look for her for her daughter? It just why would she go to Old Town to look for her daughter? Yeah, you know what? If there if Valerian the Black Dread was flying around, I, I think some 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 ravens would would let you know. 
You know, you don't need well, to fly around the country searching. She went to Old Town because I think I think uh, um, I think uh, Reina's uh, thought process there was maybe she went to go see her sister. But you know, <clears throat> clearly, if Balerion the Black Dread flies into Old Town, people would have seen him. That is yeah. true. He's he is incredibly large, and they would see him coming from a mile away. So I think it. I think she was. She was still trying to. She's still thinking about taking over. But you know me. Always looking for the conspiracy. Well, Gildane uh, leaves us to wonder, like, if she was really searching for her daughter or if she just wanted some solitude or both. Because for a good chunk of the year, she does disappear. No one sees her anywhere. And I would say none of the above. She's, she's, she's trying, to, trying to make connections. But Eventually, like, news of her going all over the place, it reaches Jaharis. And uh, Jaharis really blames himself for not embracing Arya and forming a bond with her. But he's mostly concerned with the fact that an incredibly large dragon was out there somewhere in the world in the hands of a 13-year-old girl. It's also, oh, yeah. It's also, I mean, a 13-year-old girl that can take over the world. I mean, obviously, we're supposed to make our Daenerys parallels. Hmm. Um, but, like, Daenerys being a young girl with, with, with all of the, the dragons. But, like, yeah. I mean, if, if a 13-year-old girl ran off with a nuclear warhead, like, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you, be uh, you know, worried? Yes, I would. <laughs> I mean, she has the power by herself to conquer the world. I mean, Balerion the Black Dragon could probably take on all the dragons. I mean, see, I, I, maybe... I think I think it's not as simple as that. And they they even pointed out because um, dragons aren't as easy to tame as horses. Considering if you're not careful, mm. you could fall to your death. And once free of you, they find a cave or a mountain and make it its lair. Uh, because sure. they even say it in the chapter, dragons are vagabonds by nature. And for those of you who you know English isn't your native language, vagabond is definition a person who wanders from place to place without home or a job so in this case dragons will do that um but i don't think area and they even mentioned it as well in the chapter area has a bond with it she never formed one and that does come right. into play we're, later. We're, we're definitely also supposed to think about uh dragons forming a lair and being you know and all of that we're supposed to think about daenerys's escape from from Meereen, and you know um uh, Drogon, like finding a lair and doing that, and then her training to be a better dragon rider during that time period. Mm -hmm. And so we're supposed to be thinking, if we're making the Daenerys parallel, that Arya is learning how to ride that dragon. And if she learns how to ride that dragon well, she can come back and conquer the kingdom. The kingdom is hers, you know. So I think I think that's what's what's on Jaehaerys's mind is that this this girl could come back and conquer Westeros by herself. Her dragon, no, like I said, no one's riding Vagar at this point. So the second biggest dragon is out of the picture. Um, and so after that, I mean, Jaehaerys' dragon isn't very big. You know, he's, he's like, he's like, I'm thinking like 120th the size of, of Balerion the Black Dread, if not smaller. Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, Balerion the Black Dread is insanely large compared to the other dragons. You know, I mean, well, Vagar might be getting up there, but like, yeah, he's, 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 we're talking like completely different sizes. Yeah. A lot of the people say that's one of the reasons uh, Magor was able to take down uh, Aegon 1.5, you called him? Yeah. yeah. Because the Balerion was so yeah. big. And I guess Aegon 1.5 thought he could use the smaller dragon's speed to his advantage, but no. No, no. So. No, I mean, there's a reason why, why Magor the Cruel like held out for Balerion, you know, and it was a smart move for him, you know. So, 
Yeah. But they come to the conclusion that if no lord in Westeros has seen a giant black lizard, then she has to be an Essos. So Jaehaerys has his Pantoshi Master of Coin, Rigo Draz, uses contacts in Essos to look for her instead of the stolen dragon eggs, which they were still looking for until this took precedent. And uh, Jaehaerys sends William the Wasp to lead the search for her. Now, unfortunately, the tales of potential monster sightings in Pentos was a setup for bandits, and Sir William the Kingsguard and his men were killed. This position in the Kingsguard was eventually filled by Lucamore Strong. By the way, am I saying that right? Is it Lucamore or Lucamore? Yeah, I mean, however you want. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking, I was saying Lucamore. But uh, Lucamore is a person we'll get to more on later. If you're if you've read uh, Feast for Crows and you remember the Iris Oakhart chapter, then you're probably familiar yeah. with this character. But um, afterwards, we had more rumors and reports. You know, from Essos, uh, there were you know reportings of a dragons in the fighting pits of Astapor that was being used as entertainment, but it just turned out to be a wyvern, you know, which... Right, which is funny, because there's actually, like, tiny dragon-like animals that exist in the world mm -hmm. that aren't dragons, but are pretty close to dragons. And it, so, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of funny, you know? Like, dragons just didn't come from nowhere. There were these other dragon-like creatures already existing in... Uh, in South you know, kind of Yeah, like... You know what? It's hard to say what the, what they actually look like. I mean, pterodactyls, like small dragons, you mm -hmm. know. But you know, I have this idea that that the um, that dragons were genetically engineered in order to be bonded with with uh, with Targaryens and so or or Valyrians, and so they might have started with some wyverns, you know. And is it wyverns and, or wyverns? I don't know. Either it or. It doesn't matter. Yeah, mm. I have no clue. I'm horrible. I'm horrible at these pronunciations. We're actually going to get like to that I... in a minute with the, the Valyrians and their experiments. So yeah. they keep getting reports that, you know, we may have seen something big with wings maybe all over Essos. Nothing nothing truly, you know, important. Until one day, uh, Blair and the Black Dread shows up out of the blue in King's Landing with Arya clinging to him, barely alive. Yeah. Whenever... Wherever she had gone, whatever had happened to her, it's not known, but it is given in great detail how she suffered and how those who witnessed her final hours were so horrified and afraid that some of them couldn't even sleep and wouldn't speak of it to the point where Maester Benefer, who, out of all the maesters to ever serve Targaryens, was so detailed in his account for all that happened in their lives, refused to detail what happened to her. Yeah. Uh, however, Septon Barth does go into detail about her death. Apparently, when she arrived back in King's Landing, her body temperature was so hot that when Lucamore picked her up, he could feel the heat from her body through his armor. And her skin mm. was so red and oftentimes swelling and moving as if something was crawling around inside her. Her temperature was so high that eventually her skin started to get darker and crack, and that small amounts of smoke started coming out of her. Eventually, when they lowered her into a tub filled with ice water, the creatures inside of her burst out and started to scream and die. And some as big as uh, <clears throat> Septon Barth's arm. Now, mm. the general consensus here, uh, according to, you know, uh, I think it was Mr. Benefer or Barth, is that Arya was not able to tame Balerion and direct him to go where she wanted to. But instead, he kind of just did whatever he wanted to and flew to old Valyria. Because mm -hmm. he was one of the, the very few dragons that, um, I forgot the guy's name, the exile, the Targaryen exile guy who chose to leave took with him so balerion mm -hmm. is one of the very few i think the only dragon from old valyria and it's likely he went back there with her yeah i mean um 
I forget if Vagar is, is is as well, but but whatever the case. But yes, yeah, that dragon might be from old Valyria. Yeah, so, I mean they lived on Dragonstone for a hundred years before, but I don't think uh, you know. I I think he was even older. Yeah, than I have to look up Valerian Valerian's age if he was hatched on Dragonstone or if he was from old Valerian Valeria. Um, the uh, but. But nonetheless, yeah, the, the, this idea is that they went to old Valeria and that she got some sort of infection, some sort of parasite. So she wasn't able to tame him. You're, you're supposed to have you're, you're supposed to somewhat subdue them. And most of his writers were able to tame and master him. But I find it weird that Valerion, despite being content on Dragonstone before all of this, chose to take her there of all places. Like, why would he want to go there? Maybe... The dragons yeah. need a, a constant source of uh, a Valyrian writer on top of them, and if the person of Valyrian blood is not strong enough, they somehow get the uh, just get like a free will yeah. to go wherever. It, it's it's kind of weird and a little confusing. So you so you are right. Valyrian is the only one that was born in Valyria. Um, they left with five dragons. Four dragons died, and then uh, two more hatched. Uh, so, so there was three, you know, so, mm-hmm. but yeah. So yeah, maybe he, maybe he was flying home, but the question is, is like, what actually happened? Um, so I have like the science definition is that like, okay, all of that talk of worms inside her is bullshit that she arrived and she had radiation poisoning and that Valeria was filled with like massive radiation. And, you know, she, she just came back like, which is why they're like, oh, she has a fever. She has all this blackening of her skin. Maybe she, maybe she has some sort of like, you know, radiation poisoning from going to uh, old Valyria, and the the worm stuff is bullshit. Maybe there's some sort of parasite there that got in her in her body. Yeah, fireworms. Um, yeah, these fireworms. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe you know, maybe she didn't go to old Valyria, but went to Sotheros and got got some sort of parasite as well. That's what I was also thinking too. I got a lot of um, vibes from the movie Alien. I don't know if George is a fan of Alien, but that's what it really sounded like. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, this was incredibly creepy. I I love stuff like this. And this, for me, this is one of the highlights of the chapter. Like what the hell happened to her? And they set up the mystery so nicely too. Like, where is she? Like out of all places, she's not in Essos, as far as they could tell. She's not in Westeros. Where else could she have gone? The Summer Islands? There's no way. There has to be somewhere she would have gone in Old Valyria, apparently. That's that's where she could have been. Now, do you think that maybe there were some people still in there in Old Valyria and they might have found her and taken her to perform some experiments on her? Because how the hell mm. would uh, fireworms get inside her if it was fireworms? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the idea of, like, if if you're going with the idea that ice and fire is actually full sci-fi and that like these are there were there was some advanced civilization and there was a nuclear holocaust and everybody went underground and that it might be that you know she went there and went underground and found like you know a, a super advanced you know technology filled with you know tanks filled with you know genetically engineered creatures and you know, whatever, um, from this like super science, you know, futuristic society underground. She might've found anything down there. 
you know, maybe she went in and just like an alien, she didn't know what she was looking at. And there was some egg and she, she, uh, she looked in front, you know, in the egg and I don't know, this got infected with something. I don't know. Well, um, Valerians were also like a super advanced civilization and maybe, and don't they, didn't they practice fire magic at least? Right. But then what is fire magic? I mean, or is it technology, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know. You so know, like, it's also possible that they could have been, uh, you know, a lot of experiments that mm -hmm. went awry and she just happened upon one of them. Right. Whether, whether it be a, you know, magical or pseudo magical or technological like tank or something of a genetically engineered dragon monster that she thought she could somehow use but you know it actually just went inside her and she didn't know what to do that, that very very well could have happened you know but why would Balerion bring her back to the red keep of all places and why did and, and if he was so content on dragonstone like because yeah obviously he wasn't making a, a fuss or anything why did he all of a sudden want to fly to old valeria the moment she got on top of him why I mean, it may be that she actually did bond with the dragon, you know, and that she was controlling the dragon. I mean, I understand that, you know, the, the maesters are claiming like, oh, she didn't know it, it flew off. The dragon has a mind of its own. Well, maybe it maybe she bonded with it after all. And it was going where she wanted to go. Mm. Maybe she wanted to go to old Valeria and she wanted to go home. But once she got infected and she was she was panicking. That does make sense yeah. as well, because they do come back yeah. eventually. So. Uh, but regardless, after Jaharis learns of where she might have been, he issues a decree that no ship that has passed through Valyria or the Smoking Sea be allowed to dock in Westeros, or any citizen be allowed to sail there by penalty of death. Which is weird because Jirion Lannister goes there. So, is that decree mm -hmm. no longer in place when he goes? Oh, uh, well... Hundreds of years good, later? That's a good, um, that's a good point. Because, uh, does Garion go before, um... He, does he leave before the fall of Ares? No, I think he leaves after the fall of Ares. So, but would right, Robert so, rescind that? Yeah, he leaves in 91. I mean, maybe. Maybe Robert didn't care, you know, or or why not at that point? Do you, 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 you think know? Robert Baratheon is like Trump and he's just trying to, like, remove all the stuff that came before? Just out of spite? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that I think that maybe no one told you know Robert they just kind of hopped on a ship and went off. That's also possible. The, do you have to tell the king? But and and you know figuring that he wouldn't he wouldn't care. I mean, if you want to go off to to Valyria, why not? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, after the birth of his sons Aemon and uh, Balon. Jaehaerys took mm. look, looks to Bravos and sends his new hand, the king Septon Barth, to negotiate with the Sea Lord. He still wants those dragon eggs, and they might be in Bravos. And he wants the Sea Lord to give them up or be destroyed. Now, here's where we see Bravos's real power come in, because the Sea Lord admits that you know they could never match Westeros and the dragons in raw strength, but they could in other ways, such as the Faceless Men, and they make like these mm. veiled threats, which I really like. And uh, he makes the point that the dragon eggs, by this point, are probably just three small stones, to which he would gladly reimburse Jaehaerys for by forgiving the debt that the crown owed to the Iron Bank, which allowed the money to be diverted from paying the Iron Bank to improving the city of the King's Landing, which is what Jaehaerys really wanted to do. Westeros has its own, like, 
you you said it earlier, nuclear weapons with the dragons, but it almost feels like the faceless men are Bravos's nuclear weapons in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you destroy Bravos, we'll destroy you. Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean Bravos is always supposed to be anti-dragon, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do love Jaharis over here trying to keep that prevent another valyrian dragon lord from rising that that's really yeah. on the top of his agenda there cannot be another dragon lord out there yeah because that's and that'll just that he he has absolute power the only thing that can there's only two things that can threaten his power area returning which well once she dies i guess it doesn't matter you know and then the dragon eggs if they hatch those, those are the only things that that you know threaten his power in any way and the chapter closes out with Alisang making the royal progression to the north alone while Jahari stays behind in King's Landing to help foster peace between Tyrosh and Pentos. And while in the north, she visits White Harbor, Winterfell, and the Wall. And while there, she helps them with funds to build a new castle along the Wall and even helps grant them the new gift. And has the king outlaw the First Knight's tradition, which is, I think, the second of Alisang's laws. I think there are only two. I think there are only two. <laughs> Yeah, there might be um, others, the, but we haven't. Even... I mean, she does. She does weird things, like she gets rid of the night fort and and, and, and stuff like that. But because it's supposedly too big laws. to man. Yeah, yeah, it's supposedly. But yeah, for laws, that's that that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, she she creates Queen's Gate. She gives him the new gift. Um, she gets she gets rid of the night fort. She gets rid of the the Lord's right to the first night. Um. And th- and also in this uh, this little uh, this little part here is uh, where we see the wall's magic and how the dragons might tie into that. Her dragon will not go over the wall beyond like beyond beyond the wall into uh, the northern parts of Westeros. For some reason, it just would not cross it. And we discussed this briefly before, but yeah, yeah. I mean, may- the the idea that um, the wall is perhaps a a psychic barrier that that that, you know, she has a psychic link with her dragon. So, it, you know, it doesn't want to cross that barrier because there's some sort of uh, technological barrier that prevents magical barrier, sci-fi barrier that prevents this telepathic messages from crossing. Um, there's a couple There's a couple things that make, that make me think that. Um, one is that when Jojen Reed crosses from one side of the wall to the other, he he com- becomes a completely different person and um his green dreams stop you know and i think brands also change he also doesn't have any green dreams once he once he crosses the other side of the wall um and then there's the incident with orel's eagle that i thought it thought is very suspicious is that somehow during the battle um at at the wall orel's eagle explodes into fire and we don't really have an explanation on why isn't it Um, like melisandre's doing that it explodes the the assumption from john is that it was melisandre's doing and but melisandre never thinks about it or takes credit for it um it's just kind of this weird thing and so my my you know my theory is that perhaps the eagle crossed over the wall and exploded into flames um because it just doesn't seem to be like once we get the Melisandre chapter, we find out that she's mostly a charlatan. And so, you know, she, had she the power to cause an eagle in the sky to combust, you know, you'd think 
you think she wouldn't be so insecure about her magic, you know? Because mm-hmm. she talks she talks about how she can't really make flames dance. She has powders in her cloak that makes the flames dance. So she can't really control fire. So how on earth is she causing a bird to explode in the sky? Like all of this contradicts. So I would say that Melisandre didn't cause the eagle to explode. And that something else caused the eagle to explode. And the only explanation that I can think of is that it tried to cross the wall. But I don't know. Maybe there's something else. Maybe but we'll figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is that when Queen Alisane, when she goes into the Night Forge, she just feels something ominous and off about the whole place and she wanted to leave. Uh, that mm-hmm. could be the lingering uh, magic, maybe, of the Night King who made that mm-hmm. his, uh, his, his, his castle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever's going on there, Sac- child sacrifice, all of that. But yeah, there's something. There's something. I mean, Bran felt that the night that the night fort was very creepy as well. But um, I don't know. Maybe she smelled something. Smelled. Maybe she smelled the others. She could sense them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was odd though. Or maybe her dragon sensed something, and then she sensed it through her dragon because she has a telepathic link with the dragon. I don't know. But uh, ultimately, the chapter closes out. It kind of reminds me of the ending of Return of the Jedi, where everybody's just happy and dancing and embracing. Like, eh, everything's cool now. Like, did, did, did it feel like that for you? Like, everybody's there. Like, you know, Rayella's there. Rogar brings his, like, everybody's there. Like, hey, high five. Like, everybody's embracing and warm. It, it just felt really weird and off. <laughs> You didn't, did you, you didn't get that? <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't think of that. But yeah, I guess. I guess everybody arrives and it's nice. It's nice, you know. Like ah, embrace. It's just go go back and read. It's really kind of uh, just it just randomly ends like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a little weird to be that happy after the death of Aria. And I mean, I don't know how many years have passed, you know, because so many pages, so many years, like. Uh, between between that ending and and some of the tragedy one thing i will i will say that was also kind of weird was in this chapter winter happens for like a year it doesn't even feel like it they they don't just whatever one year winter that's it Uh, but besides that other couple of things happen that are of note Uh, Jaehaerys and his small council decide to enact laws for the realm that all of them must follow which makes sense each of the Mm. kingdoms had their own little traditions and laws that you know if you go from the Vale to the Riverlands you know it might be different laws of things you can and cannot do Um, this this is about him establishing the laws and slowly taking power away from the faith yeah Mm -hmm. And, and all the little fiefdoms yeah and after uh, Arya's death, Reyna, she uh, comes back to King's Landing. Jaehaerys tries to offer her a seat on the on the small council and even a new marriage to where she just says, nah. Uh, he gives her one of the towers in Harrenhal where she lives with her dragon until her death at age 50. Uh, Jaehaerys would theorize that Reyna truly died the day her husband did. Earlier you said how you felt as though she might have been trying to gather allies. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really think Reyna ne- ever really wanted to rule through blood. The way uh, Magor did by force. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it may be that she just she eventually just decided that she couldn't she couldn't do it. She lost, you know. So she's just gonna go and live in Harrenhal. And it's funny that he links it to the husband as if she cared about her husband that much. I mean, <laughs> she, you know, they they keep trying to say that she was into Aegon the Unworthy, but you know, she was clearly a lesbian and oh yeah, full full blown. So lesbian. like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just kind of funny 
that that after all these years she's not pining for her husband she's sad about her daughter's death you know or, and that her her lovers uh broke up and stole dragon eggs and decided to sail to uh, around the world the other way you know yeah we didn't talk about that we didn't talk about the um well, well uh, no i'm getting to that oh okay okay mm -hmm. okay so we get a small taste between division between alisane and jaharis when he starts to treat Aemon as his heir instead of Daenerys, who is his first child, and it would eventually blow up later into what is known as the second quarrel. You know, Alysanne mm. not liking how Jaehaerys really just, despite being, you know, the first child, he, and he'll do this later on with another child as well, which we'll get to. Um, another thing that I didn't mention with the Arya and Balerion coming back was something on Valyria was so strong and quick enough that it left a nine-foot-large wound on Balerion, one of the biggest dragons ever. Mm, mm, yeah. uh, Sept, I think it was Septon Barth who noted that. Like, something out there was able to wound Balerion, and it is in Valyria right now, whatever it was. And just the thought of that is, is friggin' insane. Yeah. Another thing is, in the north, uh, Alaric Stark, his brother was killed trying to put down a rebellion within the Night's Watch from the men that Jaehaerys had sent there, following Maegor's death. And Alaric Stark is not too happy with Jaehaerys, so there's a bit of, you know, eh, animosity right. there. Right, so this, this, is, this is, you know, kind of funny, because it's like all of these, these are the religious ones, right, that got sent mm -hmm. to the wall? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, it's funny that, that, that in Fire and Blood, we, we get a wrap-up of that plot when, like, this is a plot that's specifically dropped in, in Ice and Fire. Or maybe it's going to come up in the Winds of Winter, I don't know. But the religious zealots, like, that got sent to the Wall in A Clash of Kings, like, have been forgotten about. For those of you who didn't, uh, we, have a, we have a discussion about that on the, uh, there's a Game of Thrones podcast channel where I upload clips on there. And we discussed it briefly in, like, a small clip. Where you were saying how the these guys that are end world believers, you yeah. know, all got sent to the wall and nothing ever came. That was in Clash of Kings, right? Yeah, nothing ever nothing came ever, of it. Nothing ever came of it. And, and so I think it's really funny that that this for, that the exact same thing that you know had had in Fire and Blood had these people been sent to the wall and we never heard of them again, we, we'd forget about it. We wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. um, but it's weird that that. George R. R. Martin says, no, then they started causing trouble, you know, and you're like, oh, well, why didn't that happen in Ice and Fire when the, when the religious zealots were sent to the wall? The exact same thing happened. And then George R. R. Martin had a dropped plot. I mean, there, there's another book coming, so maybe they're going to show up. But Well, to be know. fair, they could, <laughs> it'd be kind of silly if like, you know, Clash of Kings to Winds of Winter, they finally arrive in, in the Winds no, of Winter. No, I mean, they could and be hanging to... out at... They could be hanging out at Eastwatch or, you know, some people or Shadow just Tower. in the background. Yeah, or, you know, we just never know what, what, what happened to them. I mean, that's, that's, that's a possibility. Right, um, but don't you think they could pop up again, especially considering, you know, their men, uh, their religious zealots, they could come into clash with uh, Selyse's, uh Queen's men? Sure, or maybe join Melisandre or something, mm -hmm. you know, anything, anything could happen, but it's... Um, you know, especially if, like, they got sent to Eastwatch and then they get sent on a mission to rescue wildlings and they see a bunch of undead people. You're an N-worlder and then you, you actually see, like, zombies. Yeah, I, you know, they might they might become even, you know, even more hardened that the end of the world is coming. Um, who knows? Who knows? 
it's just spectacularly weird that at least no reference was made. If there was at least one line like, oh, Cotter Pike is dealing with some some weird people that are, you know, some new recruits that aren't that aren't easy to manage. And then and then you know, we would have at least had a hint, but we don't even have any hint of these people. So, yeah. Don't worry, don't worry, they're they're coming. They, I I firmly believe they're on a ship with Alardine, and uh, they're on their way there. <laughs> Alardine, Alardine, and the religious zealots. Yes. But uh, the other little uh, story that we got throughout the entire chapter, randomly, just thrown in there randomly, was Alyssa Farman. She finally had a ship built, uh, but she's giving a warning by the Sea Lord of Bravos that there are rewards being offered for her location. But she you know, sets sail and she goes to Old Town under a new alias. And here is where we learn a bit about the world and what's believed. Of course, just like in the olden days in our world, people believe that the earth is flat, but the maesters and many educated people across the known world uh, know it's a sphere, but nobody can really decide on how big it is. Yeah. Uh, we also see another problem similar, you know, to people have in real life in our world, in the story, a good trade route for spices from uh, Yiti. Uh, the person that could find a faster route to E.T. for their spices would likely be the richest person in history. And we kind of mm -hmm. see that later on in the story when, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name, Calaris Valerion, when he goes on his voyage oh, yeah, on yeah. the Sea Snake and he get he brings back a bunch of stuff and he makes, you know, has Valerion super rich. But um, Elisa, uh, Elisa's dream is not about proving that the world is round, but about finding a brand new place across the sea a new Westeros, a new Essos. She firmly believes that the world is so goddamn large that there are new continents, continents out there. And yeah. she kind of, I, I, I kind of get it. That's, that's insanely fascinating, but also scary at the same time that there's a brand new world out there with, mm. with new things. <clears throat> it it kind of yeah. gives you off like that, that vibe about explorers, like Viking explorers trying to find like, you know, Vinland, you know? Right, right. I mean, obviously, this parallels our own world and the discovery of America. But what's what's odd is that it it mirrors season eight so much, you know? What do you mean? That she just wants... Well, Arya just wants to find out what's west of Westeros. And Alyssa Farman is doing this, like, you know, um, this mission as well. Uh, so it's it's um, it's interesting that... that all of a sudden this is added quite a bit of time is added for seemingly no reason like is it is it important to the plot that the world is round and that you can reach reach a shy by by going west like why is why is this such a such a huge thing you know mm -hmm. um i mean is that the implication at the end of a game of thrones season eight that that Arya is going to end up in a shy <laughs> or dead because uh I won't get into it because that's the next chapter, like right at the beginning of the next chapter. But um, one of the some of the High Tower boys currently living there, they they sail with her on their own ships, and it just does not go well. Once again, that'll be the next chapter. But we also yeah. get an interesting tale of the Winter King, known as Brandon the Shipwright, who had the same dream she did. Kinda, he built a fleet mm -hmm. of ships, sailed west, but never returned. The difference here would be that she's sailing west, but in a warmer, you know towards the south, warmer yeah. waters, uh, whereas Brandon sailed in the much colder ones up north. But uh, like I said, eventually the Hightowers caught wind of this and decided to join her, and eventually news of Lisa 
trying to go off, reached Jaharis, who saw through her fake identity, but could not catch her in time because there's no islands out there. But mm. she does find a couple of islands. Once again, next chapter. I really got into the story so much that I actually caught a glimpse of the next chapter. I'm like, oh, we get more? Mm, let's uh, find out what's going on here. And I really liked it. But we'll talk about that next chapter. But mm -hmm. um, Jaharis and Alisane, Triumphs and, uh, and Tragedies. What did you think? Um, I thought it was okay. I felt like it was like four different chapters. I felt yes. I felt like there was there wasn't any sort of unifying theme. Um, it was odd that we we got so much about these these random characters um, and like the search for the dragon eggs and the and the and the cruise around the world and stuff like that. Like you'd think that they would have been these things that were very tangential tangential to the to the Targaryen family. So, um, so I thought that was that was interesting. But the it seems like George was just writing, you know, like I'm gonna write this, and then got it, you know, got away from him. You can um, definitely tell, like he wants to write, but then he gets bored about writing just about the Targaryens all the time, and he wants to write this yeah. other short story. But you know, he can't release like a right. random separate book because it, it's just a short little story. So he's got to put it in there somehow and make it fit. I, and I'm cool I think with it. I think that's I think that's exactly it. That at the end of the day, like. The Targaryens start getting boring when when it's just them. Like how many incestuous dragon riding, like silver haired people, like you know, trying to betray each other and and dealing with the faith of the seven. Like can you deal with and trying to consolidate power? You know how how long can you write about that? Game, so a song yeah. of ice and fire in a sense is kind of like Star Wars. Like there's it's, it's a big galaxy. You can write stories in many places, many planets. Same with Game of Thrones. Um, right. It's it's a big and, and, world, and yet and yet it seems like the only thing that gets written are, is a planet destroying weapon that can be destroyed all at once. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but no, like in Game of Thrones, there are many short stories everywhere that you could write, and clearly George wants to write more short stories in this world that he created, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad he did because I really like the whole Alyssa Farman thing. It's it, it's it's freaking awesome. Um, like I said, I I agree. The chapter was was I liked it. I thought it was not as great as some of the past ones, but I thought it was pretty good. These short stories aren't as bad as the random story that came out of nowhere uh, in one of the first Jaharis chapters, where Rogar has this plan to like have this prostitute seduce Jaharis. Oh yeah, remember I mean, that? That was so fucking yeah. random, out of the blue. Like, what is happening? It's not a, it's not that bad, but it's 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 still pretty good. The best thing about the chapter to me was the mystery of Aria. What happened to her? I really like mm. that. I love those creepy little things. Yeah, no, and and when Fire and Blood came out, first came out, I would say that that passage about Aria was the most talked about thing in the in the whole book. You think so? Yeah. Well, first off, you know, half the book was already released beforehand, so there was nothing surprising. That piece was like, what on earth is this? You know, that's what that's what really because that really you know turns everything upside down if there's some sort of like in valyria there's actually monsters or scientific experiments or something you know that that is kind of a big game or lab changer. experiments that have like escaped yeah, yeah exactly so that, that could be what the changer. the stone men are yeah sure absolutely absolutely i mean i also you know i you know i somewhat think that there has to be some sort of like universal link on why is you know wh why do we have these stories of the others and the squishers and then all the way in the northeast of, of Essos, 
um, these stories about these monsters that that try to pass through the five towers. Like, what is the unifying issue that created all of these monsters in the world? And you know, I would say that the unifying thing must be like some sort of genetic engineering and some sort of you know that there was some sort of warring society with genetic engineers. That, the Valerians. That, yeah, that were that were dealing with these monsters. So. It was most likely the Valyrians because don't they, isn't it said that they had like advanced technology in their buildings? The buildings well, can I, last longer. Sure, I even think it's pre-Valyrians. I think it's like you know before, because the Valyrians only start popping up and 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 doing stuff in the in the last few thousand years. I'm talking like you know I think there's there's stuff that's even before that, like you know twenty thousand years ago, like subterranean society before the subterranean society before the long night and stuff like that yo so. you and the subterranean society man you love the subterranean hey man i i didn't put <laughs> i didn't put a million subterranean locations in, in the goddamn story okay george r. r martin put a million goddamn subterranean locations in the story tunnels everywhere i didn't do that he did that okay and i will say on the on the creepy side of the area thing there's not a lot of creepy like moments and chapters like that, even in the Song of Ice and Fire, I, I can think of one at the top of my head. Um, the moment, the I mean, last... Davos and Melisandre's like shadow baby, maybe mm, that wasn't as creepy as the one I'm thinking of. The yeah. last chapter in Feast for Crows, it's the Sam chapter, and it ends with him kind of like befriending this one guy named Pate, like the pig boy. Mm. But if yeah. you, but in the prologue, we we learn that Pate is dead. Yeah. So who the hell is that guy? Is Sam befriending a random faceless man assassin? That was so fucking creepy when this guy just comes out. He gets, oh, I'm Pate, like the pig boy. Like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. So yeah. creepy. I love it. I love stuff like that. It's so great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyburn's workings are pretty creepy. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, so uh, anything else on this chapter? Uh, no, that is that is it for the chapter. Um. The Jaharis ones, my God, they're so fucking long. And it's not that they're boring. It's just, ah, oh, fuck. I kind of want another. They're, they're just, yeah. I kind of want a new king to come around. Yeah. You know, Jaharis is going to rule for a freaking another 20 years. Uh, so. <laughs> I kind of want another king to come around. I, I kind of want to get to like the other ones that I don't really know too much about, you know, because fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the story has slowed down, you know? Just a tad. But, like, you, like, you get cool yeah. little things every now and then, like the area thing and the Sea Lord and, you know, Alyssa Farman. So he does keep it interesting. He does really keep it interesting. Actually, I'm kind of glad that we uh, we get his royal progressions around the around Westeros, mostly because we get to see all these ancient, like, families that we know in this, the main story back then. Like, you know, we get to see the ancient starts of the day. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I feel he was, like, house-dropping a, a lot of um, houses that that you know we start hearing of historically that have been like taken out like you hear of house rain doing stuff in this chapter and you hear of house of house uh, peak doing stuff in this chapter houses that were really important and then kind of get extinguished by either the dance of the dragons or or the blackfire rebellions you know and um and so i think you know he i feel like he was he was purposely plopping in uh certain houses for that reason yeah. Just giving them shout outs. But um, I, I will say I'm a little annoyed that Dreamfire Reyna, someone who's been very integral to a good chunk of this, her story kind of ends there. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, uh, Preston, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, guys, thank you for joining us. Are there any uh, closing statements on this chapter, Preston? No, no. I mean, I guess we're um, looking forward to the next one. You're saying the next There's one a lot of setup. The next one I really like. It's the aftermath of Elisa Farman's uh, a, a journey, and uh, I really like. I I just went through it. That's why it took me a while for us to start recording. I, I was going through it just a little bit of it because I really was enamored with it. But um, mm. yep, uh, I'm looking forward to the next one, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next time with uh, what's this chapter called? This chapter is called. Uh, oh God! No, I'm just fucking Chinese. Jaharis and Alisane, policy, progeny, and pain. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. Policy. Really sounds, sounds, sounds riveting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.